welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not outside running or biking or generically adventuring, I'm probably inside writing about all of those things. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you're here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we look at all sorts of different movement and the people that do those movements and see what we can learn and bring to our own lives. So today we have another Q&A episode for you guys. It's been a while since we've done one. Normally we've been on a pretty good like uh, every other week schedule, but we had so many really good guests coming on that we, we didn't want to wait and hold any of those episodes. Um, we just had Rebecca Roosh on last week talking about you know all things adventure, lifestyle, and a little bit of gravel stuff, but she was perfect to have on right before the Dirty Kanza race, so we wanted to bring that one to you quicker and... Yeah, we've had a lot of really good guests on lately. Yeah, it's been good. And I think we're just with the, the timeline around getting the, the dirty cans of hype going and stuff, we wanted to get that out before everyone headed off to their big June, early June races. Yeah, your clients had like a huge weekend. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a weekend like that. There was several local races, both road, you know, we had a road, a gravel, sort of a relay race, uh, women's only relay race that Molly was at with the Shred Girl stuff and sort of doing some supporting and promo in there. Uh, and then, of course, Dirty Kanza uh, as a gravel race. And then there was the Wilmington 100. And there was, what else was there? We had a Cascades on the Road stage race. Uh, Canada Cup and We had Trombo. Canada Cup as no, well for mountain Ball. bike. Yeah, yeah. So there's lots. And that's just in my world. I'm sure everyone else had multiple. Oh, Mohican. I'm forgetting Mohican as a marathon was also in the States this weekend. So all that to say, race season, I think, has officially like kicked off hardcore yeah i don't know right it's it's uh, i mean you, you didn't want to talk about any twitter battles or anything today so oh. i won't i won't mention them but uh you know there's a lot of you know where where is cycling going in the world right certainly maybe we'll just even allude to the cx hairs just did a great sort of what's coming in cyclocross season uh, and bill i thought did a great job uh bill and zach was it zach yeah zach, zach from, from cyclocross, cyclocross magazine so if you're if you're really looking for like a state of the industry i think they they don't give you necessarily answers but they they work through what's going on and as far as sponsorship and stuff like that but i mean with this number of races and participation i think it can't be all bad yeah, I mean, I will say for cyclocross in the U.S., there is some bad news this week. What happened was uh, Bill did that awesome episode, and then I think two days after that came out, it was announced that Reno Cross is no longer happening next year, so that takes away one of the very few C1s we had left in the States. Right. Um, so it's definitely going to be really interesting to see what the high-level pros are going to do next season for cyclocross. Um I think, you know, it's going to have to be you're either racing in Europe if you're really serious about it, or you can kind of do a little bit more of what we've seen some pros do and shift to a bit more of like a go where the cool events are and, you know, where there's places they can be really good ambassadors to the sport in addition to racing. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if you show up at podiums, I guess that means you're a good ambassador. But, oh, boy. Uh... Well, we won't go there. Um <laughs> There are probably like 10 people that are going to hear this and understand what you're referring to, but... I don't know if that's true. Well, if you understood what Peter's referring to and you want to weigh in on which side you're on, hop onto our Twitters and let us know. No, it's please at, don't. You can send that, to, send that to Uncle Jeff, care of Uncle Jeff, and you'll be fine. <laughs> anyhow, uh, anyhow. What, uh, what else are we up to? We're uh, in the USA right now. Yeah, I have an event in New Jersey with the... Uh, Nike, so Nike is the high school mountain bike leagues here in the States, and I'm going to be doing some stuff with the New Jersey Nike League this weekend at one of their big races. It's actually at the place where I learned how to mountain bike. 
So I'm pretty excited to help lead a girls ride on Saturday and then, you know, be at the race and just cheering on and supporting and stuff on Sunday. And of course, I'll have all my Shred Girl stuff with me. So that's on, where are we for date wise here? Just so people have that's a timestamp. Like June 8th and 9th, I think. Right. And then, right. yeah, so that's that's going on. We're back in New Jersey. We had a good drive down. We realized it's actually pretty fun to break up a drive with a trail run, even if it means you get back in the car a little sweatier and muddier than when you got out. Yep, I went less minimal on my shoes. So I'm hoping to be able to walk this week after my once a week uh, trail run with Molly. So we'll, we'll see how that works. I don't know. The six hours in the car after that could not have helped very much. No, no. So uh, what else? Is there anything else going on? What else is we're doing? I mean, we have booked weekends between races and Shred Girls events pretty much for the next two months. So we have a lot going on. And you can keep up with all of those things over on shred-girls.com. Most of our schedule is up on that event calendar. Uh, yeah, and no, I mean, we're, we're doing a lot, of, lot more talks, a lot more clinics, kind of in the Ontario area for most of June, July. But we're always open to going new places and doing some fun new stuff. So, yeah, get in touch if you're interested in a clinic or a Shred Girls talk or anything like that. So, without further ado, shall, yeah. we, shall we hop into the questions here? Let's do that. All right, the first one is, I mean, my favorite question to answer always. Well, maybe I should ask you. Okay. So we have uh, someone here, they're having saddle area numbness on the indoor trainer. So they're riding a bicycle indoors and they're getting numbness in their groin region, the saddle contact <laughs> area. What is what are, what are some things we can do to help this? Yeah, so this is my weird area of expertise. And I was actually realizing this week, I have so much information over on saddlesorebook.com that like I had honestly forgotten that I wrote. And I was going back through it the other day. And I was like, holy crap, I have like 60 articles that are all about like, how to be more comfortable on the bike and like very specific so yeah because it goes into i was just thinking about this yesterday too i know you were sort of like reading your own book and, and going like i can't believe i wrote this um yeah, so this is a book you can buy is, where is it it's on amazon it's on amazon so it is on amazon as well so actual book you can order and have delivered to your home uh but i was thinking it has stuff about pelvic floor as well yeah. like in, incontinence type stuff and and sort of just pelvic pain generally yeah and i have a couple of articles on that site about it too so definitely check that out if you're if this question didn't quite answer any issues that you're having that you'd rather not ask about but anyway so we're we're, we're indoors riding a trainer yeah so this is actually a super common problem i think because when you're indoors and you're on the trainer, a lot of bike fit issues get exacerbated, first of all. So if you have a fit that's slightly off, like when you're sitting inside on the trainer, you don't really have a whole lot of... Degrees of freedom. Yeah, natural shifting that you're going to be doing because you're so stationary, um, which leads to the other main reason for numbness, which is just that we're sitting on that saddle and very rarely standing up. And we're probably not using great posture. The woman who asked this actually admitted like she reads on the trainer. Yeah. So, you know, you're not in your perfect posture that you would be if you were out on a road and climbing, right? You're you're kind of just doing whatever with your arms and, you know, you're probably like craning your neck in a weird way that you wouldn't if you were outside because you're watching a TV. You're just not... Well, you're in... looking down versus ahead, right? Sure, yeah. yeah. You're just not in your outdoors position. But the big thing is just to me that you're just not going to be standing up that often. And she laughed when I said that. I told her on Twitter she needed to stand up more. And she's like, yeah, you don't want to see me stand up on the trainer. And I'm like, trust me. 
it's gonna be helpful. Well, you don't need to stand up to pedal if you're feeling very tippy. It's fine. Right. But just shifting that weight up a little bit, you don't have to necessarily get up out of the saddle and sprint. I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying hover slightly above the saddle and just give your nether regions a break. Because the reason we don't have as many saddle issues outside or numbness issues outside is because we're constantly readjusting tiny bits. Yeah. You know, just, you know, as you take a corner, you're going to be shifting your weight. You're going to be moving a little bit. You're going to be unweighting chunks. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you're on the trainer, you are just in that one position. Yeah, and I think, like, in in the kinesiology world, maybe if we put it that way, just, you know, you're looking at movement. There's always this, like, movement variety piece, right? So if someone is sitting all day, it's like, oh, well, you sit all day. No wonder you have back pain or, you know, whatever. Uh, in this case, right, like you're pedaling at the exact same RPM, probably lower RPM, probably if you're reading, like probably lower output, right? So, and we know things like standing is one that I guess that's my contribution to your book is this aha moment of we should stand up more as, as cyclists. Um, but if, if we're not changing the output, so if we don't coast even to a stoplight, you know, even when we coast a lot of, you know, we can put weight onto those stable feet, stable pedals. Um, but if we push harder on the pedals, generally this unweights our butt a bit because there's more of our, our weight, you know, we're putting into the pedal. Mm-hmm. So sometimes just even doing intervals and mixing up the output is going to help. But when we stand, I, I'm actually, I think in the, on the scale of coaches and where we are with like standing intervals inside, I actually like do not like people standing indoors. But you still have to stand indoors, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're not so saying stand a sprint. You're I would, saying just stand. Yeah, I do very little standing sprinting indoors and very little, like, like, never basically standing, like, one minute or two minutes. And that's not to say you shouldn't. It's just I don't do it because the bike doesn't move side to side. And I think most people struggle with learning to properly move the bike underneath them in a balanced fashion outdoors. So I feel like it interferes with that movement. Like, it practices a bad habit. So I would say indoors, though, what I mean by you, you still have to stand up is like every couple pedals, not every couple pedal strokes, but, you know, you're doing an interval, say a four minute interval. You might like stand for two pedal strokes, like literally like two, like left, right, left, right, um, just to unweight and move around on the saddle, right? Like that saddle you could sit on probably hundreds of different ways, a bit to the left, a bit to the right, a bit forward onto the nose, you know, back on the, and I think a lot of us have like one spot we sit on. Mm-hmm. So one spot in our saddle area gets all the pressure versus if you're light on that saddle, moving around, shifting, you know, there's a lot of tissue that can absorb that force, right? Yeah, exactly. And variety, just standing, shifting, output changing. Yeah. So I think that pretty much, yep. pretty much solves that one. I think so. Yeah, I think the posture piece too with the book, if you could try and get the book so that you're sort of looking ahead more than looking down, yeah, would help a lot with posture. I, I used think. to use a music stand actually for yeah, my something iPad. Like that. Or even just mix it up, right? Like read for 20, yeah. TV for 20, listen to music for 20. Like we're, and this is in no way condoning that that's like a thing you should do during a workout. No. Do not read a Do not read a book during a workout. But you know what? If it's going to get you pedaling, like that's... If that's what's going to get you on the bike, then by all means. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I, I used to maybe have a harder stance on that, but I think at some point it's not that much different. Um, but yeah, if you can get it sort of up a little bit, just probably helps. Yeah. Again, if we're thinking like we're riding outdoors with our head looking ahead. So if we're going to think specificity, if not like anything about posture, mm-hmm. which would be maybe a jump. But yeah, so I think that's good. Great. All right. Next question. 
Um, we had a question about eating for recovery. So thinking actually more towards the day after. So we've talked about the immediately post-race kind of stuff, but we haven't talked about a ton the idea of, you know, what to do, say if you have an earlier race, what to do for dinner or, you know, what to do the next day. Um, and I mean, obviously this is going to change if you ran a hundred miler versus you raced a cyclocross race. Right. Um, you know, I personally like running the longer races. It's actually almost like two days out that I start getting really hungry again because uh, my system is just kind of screwed up after right. <laughs> a really hard, long, long effort. That's, you know, a six hour race or whatever. So you know, it's just going to differ from race to race, and it's going to differ from person to person is probably the first thing that we should say about that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I always tend to go back to most of us just are normal people. You know, we do some crazy things and go on some crazy adventures, but we could just sort of go back to eating. I don't know that a lot of us need this, like, critical, like, super fast refueling of anything, right? So I think we just go back to eating like our normal people. Yeah, Agreed, but I, I think, you know, day after a really hard effort, it's really tempting to not eat like a normal person and start kind of hitting the, definitely in my case, you know, the pastries or the, the treats pretty hard because you did something really hard and you're probably feeling a little extra hungry. Right. Um, so I think the first thing for the, the next day is really having a good solid breakfast. Yeah, and I guess that's in my flippant way. I think that's what I'm saying is like, I think we end up sometimes like some of those cravings, I, I think this is supported that, you know, if we, we didn't eat enough after the race and then maybe for dinner after the race, and that could, it certainly involves some ice cream or pizza or whatever your thing is post-race. Uh, I think that's great. Go ahead and celebrate, hopefully with friends. I think that's great. And then I think the nutrition where I come back to like eating like a normal person is I think there is great support that like the nutrients and the protein or whatever you're going to pick as your favorite macronutrient is important, right? And if we don't, if we're depriving ourselves, whatever, because your stomach's upset or, you know, we only had candy the night after the race, then the next day, I think some of that like binging or like really being hungry and ravenous is that like your body's like, I need some nutrients, I need some protein or your favorite macronutrient. Um, so if we just, you know, try and get a good healthy breakfast in, we'll call it healthy breakfast, you know, well-rounded breakfast with all your favorite macronutrients, we should then feel like, okay, we're, we're, we're full, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're not full, but even we're, we're not ravenous at least, right? Mm -hmm. In theory. Yeah. So I think that's, I, I don't know. I don't know that I have a ton. Like, I think if you're hungry, eat, that's, that's fine. But again, try and make sure there's some, some good foods in there with the jelly beans or whatever you're craving. Well, I think if you also like, you know, you're saying eat like a normal person, you might realize that your normal every day is severely lacking in one of these my macronutrients, i.e. protein. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Was there, there wasn't like a, a context for this. Like I, I always like am ravenous for the week after or I... I'm very tired the week after. No, I'm just curious or... about how to eat appropriately to be ready to race, especially in a race season where you're racing every weekend. The next weekend. weekend, yeah. I mean, that's really the thing, right, is that we, we know that you want to eat daily, and we know, I've heard you know, that, yes. after the race, there's certainly a refueling period there, and really, it's not the, even the next race for a lot of us, right? It's like maybe midweek, we'd love to, like, geez, if I could get a good sort of Wednesday workout in between my two Sunday races, that would be amazing right and I think harder and harder as I get older and busier and stuff too so I think that's where that sleep and the nutrition pieces is, is does get important mm -hmm. um, 
So we have a lot of episodes on, you know, basic nutrition for everyday eating. So if you're, if so. you're curious few... about our philosophies on that, we have a few nutritionists as well. I was well going to say, yeah, we definitely episodes. have like Stacy or any Stacy Sims or Laurie yeah. has been on too. And even Fitzgerald has lots of his stuff, right? Like eating for endurance, right? Yeah. I great, think it's great probably covers well in there. Well, and he was on talking to mm-hmm. that book too, right? Yeah. So uh, I'll try and link to those three at least and then... Yeah, definitely just realize that... Fuel Your Ride yeah. is also a book oh, right. you, you could buy on Amazon, probably. That's, that's yeah. true. A real book. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so basically just kind of realizing the goal is to really get back to homeostasis as quickly as possible. And, you know, the best way to get back to that is eating normally. And if you're starving, eat what you'd normally eat, like those healthy whole food meals, and maybe just add a little bit of extra protein or, you know one extra potato or whatever sure yeah and i mean i think you know maybe if it's like a massive day you just finished dirty kansas like by all means you have your your beer if that's what you're having like enjoy that definitely you know maybe there's a protein shake in there because it's a lot of calories are going to have to come back in right like you're just going to be that the protein shake or recovery shake is going to hit the bottom but then you know hopefully you can go and get like you know if you're into mexican food and that's tasty like go have that right and just mix that up. So anyhow, I think we've belabored that. I think that's good. Eat something, eat eat frequently after the race, and then go back to your normal normal routine. All right, perfect. Um, next one. When training, when the weather in training or the context in training. So this is this is kind of an amalgamation question based on a few questions that we've gotten in the past week. So when the weather is not conducive to doing the workout on the schedule, whether that means say like it's just too wet to ride on the mountain bike trails and you know you shouldn't do it ethically um or the context for example you don't have a 20 minute hill near your house and you have 20 minute hill intervals on the on the schedule what do you do yeah so i'm i my one of my catchphrases 80 percent is a passing grade so this should like guide life right we don't need to be perfectionists we don't need to but we also need to show up um and it's going to rain, right? And so certainly I'll have this from clients where, A, it's raining. How did you not know it was going to be raining? Like, I can't possibly mountain bike. And what am I supposed to do? And so I, I often come back like, you could ride the trainer. that That's possible. You could ride indoors or run indoors, you know, on a treadmill. But a lot of times we need to get outside and, you know, experience what it's like running in the rain or riding in the rain or whatever. And a lot of these races, like there's going to be a gravel road or a, even a paved road. Like if you watch the latest World Cups, there was a fairly significant amount of time on gravel path climbing and paved flat road, right? So we could certainly make the best of it and, you know, try and produce power on a flat road. And that's just this week, it's just going to have to be intervals on a flat road or a ride on a flat road. You know, gravel rail trail works really well, something that's sheltered and just do the best you can, right? I'm a, I think sometimes we like are moving things into the future to try and get these like perfect conditions. And the problem is race day doesn't move to perfect conditions, right? Race day happens on race day. Uh, and then I think in the similar vein, what is it? The hills, like, so you don't have the, the uh, your context is not great. You maybe live in the city and you can't midweek get to like a 20 minute climb. And I think there is like some in terms of talking to your coach or, or you know, developing your plan so that you do optimize your context. I think there is something there. But, but th- we all go on vacations or something like that. 100%. So. Like I've been in Florida and had to do 20-minute intervals around like a subdivision that just had right-hand turns and you just do the best you can, right? And 
I think for a lot of us, learning to do things on a flat road is actually quite good. A lot of us don't, you know, we, we try and always do intensity uphills because it's sort of done for you. So I think that that is possible. I think there's lots of tricks to, if you have a three minute hill, you know, you can do a minute on flat and a minute over the top and learning to sort of transition and shift and sort of go from flat power to hill power to flat power, I think is quite good. Uh, and a lot of times you can extend that out by, you know, a minute or 30 seconds on, on each side of that. So I think that's definitely workable. Um, and, and I do think those indoor options are, are options sometimes, but I think, again, we have to be careful that we're actually getting out and doing our sport and having fun. Yeah, I think if you find yourself just constantly defaulting to can't do my outdoor workout, need to do the trainer, you need to maybe, you know, rethink what your training plan looks like. You know, is it really that the weather sucks or is it that you don't want to go out to and do. do that? Yeah, you don't want to. Like often it's people ride their road bikes all the time because they don't have perfect mountain bike trails or something, right? Or they actually just like road riding, right? Which so, which could be totally fine. I mean, yeah you're allowed to switch up the sports that you want to do. And that gets to like goal setting, right? Like sometimes we get this goal setting idea is like pretty nebulous and, you know, we're setting these dream goals in the future, but like you don't think about like, I have another post called, can you prepare for the goal that you have set? And it's almost like, do you want to prepare for the goal that you've set, right? Mm -hmm. So we went to an Ironman and by the end of it, you know, I I don't regret doing the Ironman, but like I dislike straight roads and pavement running so much. Like it just pains my soul. If I get can run onto a trail, like it's like a switch. Having a great time, time goes by quicker. But if I get on a straight, flat, paved road, it just like in my soul is aching. So that was a fine goal. I learned to swim. That We went on an adventure and incorporated a lot of mountain biking into our Ironman trip. Um, but that's all to say, like I, I'm not continuing to race triathlon. And that's just me, right? But I have you know, I've had clients in the past and it's like, you know, you book this super, you want to do Leadville, but you have no interest in riding a mountain bike, let alone a mountain bike on gravel, hilly roads, right? It's hard to get to them. You have to drive to train. So sometimes just thinking through. Or you join a road team, but you realize you don't actually right. like Molly joined on a the road. Criterion <laughs> road team. I mean, you had a lot, there was good social stuff with that and, and you liked that idea, but then you realize like, turning a road bike is not with a group of people on sketchy you know courses is not necessarily your idea of a great time exactly and and more importantly like you weren't willing to really go and like find a industrial block to practice right like sprinting in and out of like corners and cornering on sand and all this so no but it turns out i am totally willing to go run 20 miles of trails by myself on a saturday right which is and then that's like perfect preparation to, to go do a 80 kilometer 50 mile run right like it, there's other people around in those runs but there's not a lot of like you know drafting we're not track running here. exactly yeah. so yeah i mean i think almost you almost need to reverse engineer and i think a lot of us kind of forget that but like think about what you want to be doing for your training mm-hmm. what training is really fun for you and okay like let's maybe pick a race goal based on what we enjoy doing for training instead of picking a race goal and then trying to figure out the training well and even so i read another post and i'm going to try and remember to link to these but i'll also try and just do it justice is and this one was on matt my run sort of under armor blog and it was around you know sometimes we have to pick our goals based on what's coming up right so i have a few clients that actually their lives sort of undulate say the kids get to school and maybe they're at the cottage for the summer or whatever like you can pick your scenario um 
but it would be like, you know, maybe you're in Florida. You had to move to Florida. You used to love doing mountain bike races that were really technical, but now you live in, you know, really pancake flat area of Florida. Sorry if there's amazing technical trails, but you're just not in a hilly area anymore. But this area happens to have like BMX racing and time trials and criterium races. And this is a whole new world to you, but there's a great community around this. I'm inventing this community, but I think it probably does exist in Florida. Um, you know, and you could really embrace that new set of skills and community and just for a while put that mountain biking in super hilly altitude-based terrain on hold, mm-hmm. right? And you could come away really, really strong from that, right? Yeah, for sure. So sometimes in, in this idea of context, like, again, I think we're trying to harp on this idea that, like, a given day, do the best you can, 80% is a passing grade. But long-term, you know, or medium-term thinking, what is my context for this three months what could a goal be at the end of these three months you know i'm in a city maybe it's better that i just embrace these crits that are happening every tuesday Mm -hmm. and do a big crit race at the end of the summer exactly right and then you're setting yourself up for success yeah all right so this is probably gonna kind of have some similar themes but you've had a lot of questions lately about training while you're sick and I mean, I'm going to say, hopefully we're through a lot of that, like, between season uh, colds and flus that tend to start circulating. Yeah. Uh, you know, we both were down for, I'd say, like, at least a week in May. What's really odd ones, though, like, we yeah. didn't, I wouldn't have said we had colds per se. No, but we were sick. <laughs> yeah, and you were, like, having trouble, like, even, like, eating. You felt like it was almost nausea, and then... I felt amazing, but then like had this like borderline nasal infection. And so that was my only symptom, but then I felt amazing. And then that turned into somehow I got lost my voice, but still felt amazing every day. Uh, so it's, it's tough. It's nebulous to make these calls, right? Yeah. So what are your, what are your rules to live by when you're, when an athlete comes to you? So like, let's also specify, you know, do as you say not as you do so the like cliched one is the neck check so i mean in my case again it was sort of tough because every day i felt super motivated like energetic with work i'm up at like five in the morning and i'm very annoying you know crushing work and then i'm like psyched to go ride and then it's you know but i'm congested right and so it's technically above the neck and then i lost my voice but still didn't have a sore throat and it's like so what i did was i I tend to uh, uh, put on top of that is are you worse or better than today or yesterday right so today have have things progressed so in the case of my running nose yes above the neck but you know it's gotten grosser not to be graphic but you know the color has changed ew um or it's just worst right like you you could barely sleep so so there's a sleep factor coming in maybe and it's just you're really congested right you know how like you you're coughing a bit because you're congested or just like you couldn't breathe as well and you you just didn't sleep as well so now we have sleep and worse congestion to me those are like factors that are you know the second sleep's involved that's a you know worse than it was yesterday and so that's a easy day And, and i think along with this anytime you're having congestion runny nose you don't really, I always think about blowing it back down into your lungs, right? Which is going to get it below the neck. So you want to be really careful that we're keeping training lighter, like low intensity for sure. And probably being careful on volume and just trying to get things trending positively. Um, And then once we get trending positively, then I think, again, you can sort of like play with that aerobic training. But again, you want to be careful that you don't, this is not scientific, but blow it back down into your lungs. So kind of gross thought around that. Uh, If you are on the trainer, Make sure you have like tissues and a tissue receptacle or a handkerchief or something because I think on the trainer we have that weird tendency to just like 
sniffle the entire time. When you're on the road, you'd just be blowing snot rockets like crazy and kind of clearing out your sinuses. But on the trainer, mm. you're just kind of like sniffing. Um, so I'm a huge fan of actually, you know, if I'm a little stuffy, like I'll go for a run. So I basically can clear out my nose. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's science around that, but certainly like when I go and ride lower intensity and just like go out and spin, like you feel better mentally, I think. And then I think that blood flow does help, you know, clear the sinuses. If you haven't tried a neti pot with distilled water, I do think that those sort of blasting the sinuses out do help, I think, just with your daily function. And again, it's drug free and everything else. So I don't know if that's how I end up in these situations where I feel fine, but I do have this congestion, but... There you go. Um, I think the the last thing to maybe add on that is, I mean, you can always start a workout, like, and then back off if you're not feeling good. So, I mean, if you are questioning it, just be aware as you're going out through your workout. Don't push through the last, you know, all the intervals if you feel like garbage as you're doing them. Yeah, I guess. And, and I mean, if you weren't sick yesterday and then today now you have runny nose, then you're worse than yesterday. So I would just flag that as a yellow and take a easy day, skip that day, carry on. And then if you're better the next day, okay, well, then I'll try, you know, it might not be an intensity, but try whatever day was there. You mm-hmm. know, it might be like a bit of low volume. Um, and then if after that low volume day, again, you get worse again, then I would say like, that's a good sign that like two days, you know, you've had two days that have just gone sort of sideways and training hasn't helped. Then that's a good sign that training hasn't helped. So take a day mm-hmm. you know and again this could be light walking yoga this type of stuff still moving right extra nap time extra time to bed mm-hmm. um, and it's frustrating right but we're always trying to see like again if we make it worse and then it's longer yeah right like a couple days is not a big deal yeah for sure so so that all leads very neatly into the next question, which is around FOMO. Man, between that and imposter syndrome, we just have hit all of the hot button trendy issues. I guess it's all about the hashtags. All about the hashtags. So the the FOMO issue is exacerbated. You've had a few different people ask about this. And for some of them, it's on Instagram. They're seeing people doing all these cool races or cool rides or riding with friends or you know, going on these crazy trips, all that kind of stuff. Or you've got people that are just scrolling Strava and seeing people racking up the big training rides when you're at home, either doing your prescribed training or recovering from something, whether it's an injury or a race, or you're just on a rest week and you're getting some pretty severe FOMO about it. Yeah. And I mean, you get the notifications, you got those all turned on and, you know, losing, losing your QOMs on Strava and your fastest known times are being shattered by other people. Yeah, it's it's tough. And I mean, I think the thing is, if you're following a thousand people on either platform, you're seeing a thousand highlights coming through. Um, you know, it's not like you're we're no longer in the days of like you've got your three friends that you talk to about racing and you're right. hearing about their race stuff and like maybe you're flipping through a magazine and seeing some cool cool races or cool rides that you're not doing now you're just constantly inundated by what everyone is doing right um so you know if you think about it any given weekend like we just listed how many races that happened this weekend like 15 yeah. even if you did one of them you yep. could probably still scroll someone, Instagram. Someone did something bigger and better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right? Like even in the Dirty Kanza. Someone did the Dirty Kanza yeah. XL. And Was it Colin Strickland one? I forget. I apologize. But they, they broke the record. Anyhow, it was really fast, right? But then 
on top of that, there was a bunch of people that did DKXL. They did 350 miles. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that you, those guys all went really fast. I think the women actually might have broke their record too. Um, but all that to say, you ride 200 miles, and then someone posts to Strava, they did 350 miles, <laughs> right? You're not going to win this battle. I and it's tough. point number one. And so I think, and, it, and if you watch closely, like the problem is that all these social networks are great. You see, like I love Strava for the route finder, and the heat map is just an amazing piece of technology. If you haven't used the heat map where you can see where other people have ridden frequently, like we use that all the time when we travel. Um, you know, Instagram has lots of great things about it. It's really cool to see, you know, I don't know how we'd keep up with what's going on in the world as far as events and stuff, right? And who's doing well and, you know, all these cool things. Like there's a lot of really, really cool stuff on it. But the thing is you mentioned like the algorithm basically, right? And you're only seeing the people who are like, you're. It, it's filing what you're seeing based on the things that are really, people are doing a lot of likes. And it's probably the people that are finishing DKXL. Or setting the world record, you know, best time on the 200 or all this stuff, right? It's not showing like, oh, I'm at home alone, you know, and I had a piece of pizza. Here's a picture of it. It's just a normal day, right? Because that's not getting nearly the likes. So we have to remember, which is very hard, that like this stuff is being selected for better or worse Mm -hmm. and that everyone has normal days, right? Like I think case in point is Rebecca Roosh didn't start you know, after our podcast, which is an amazing podcast, I listened to it twice now and I'm going to listen to it again today. She had to change plans. She didn't start the Dirty Cans XL. Yeah. And I mean, I think you can kind of do this, this thought experiment with any, any one particular person, you know, so pick like the, you know, whoever did the DK 350, say this weekend. Mm -hmm. So if you then, you know, click through their feed and start looking back a few weeks, whether it's on Strava or Instagram or wherever, you're probably going to see that they didn't race last weekend or the weekend before that. And, you know, they took this down week or this kind of stuff. Um, So I think if you just try to start looking at like one person, whenever you start feeling like everyone is doing so much more than you, if you actually break it down and look at the one person, the odds are pretty good that they're not doing that as much as it might seem like. They have like. a lot of normal days, yeah. I mean, like, I won a race last week, but I don't know if I've even posted since then. And, like, we've had to sit in a car, and I had to sit in front of my computer for a lot of a day. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to take a rest day. We had a family thing. So on the whole that Saturday when everyone was at DK, and I'm like, oh, maybe I should be racing gravel now. Um, we were playing with our one-year-old niece. Yeah, yeah, and it's like you're not doing anything extreme. You're doing normal family stuff, which is awesome, exactly. right? Right, and you try and be where you are. But I don't know. So David Roche, I'll, I'll link to this. Molly's coach, he did uh, a great post on FOMO specifically, and just sort of that like sitting. His, his analogy or his, his story he told was sort of sitting inside on a Monday, taking a rest day after a big weekend, and then everyone goes running by, putting in big days like secret training on Monday. And so I think we just have to remember, like, there's at some point you need to have a normal day and a training day, right? We need to put that hay in the barn, as I'm fond of saying. It's true. Yeah. And I mean, if you're really feeling that, you know, intense level of FOMO, it might be time to turn Strava off on your phone or only use it as like an upload tool. For a little while, maybe yeah. take you know turn off the notifications if it's really stressing. I think you that's out. like a non-negotiable. Like no notifications from that or Instagram. Like that's that's crazy. I think Bill and I were talking about this when I was on CX Hairs last month. The best thing I've done for myself in the last year is I turned off the notification numbers on all of my apps. 
Oh, so, so you don't have like a badge icon. Exactly. Yeah. Except with the exception of texts and calls, those are the only two notifications I get. But I can't see the number of emails I have unread. I can't see the number of Instagram stuff or Twitter stuff or anything. Yeah. And it's been the best thing that I could have possibly done. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of that stuff, right? Like it's, I, I did an experiment on myself. I, I go in and out of grayscaling my phone and stuff like that. But I, I do like, it's annoying as all heck, but I have the time limit set to like five minutes on my social media stuff. So it like pops up really quick and it just gives you that like check-in and a lot of times I'll say no give me more you know a 15 minutes even or or whatever but it gives you that check so I think that's a good one and I think just trying to find parts of the day that you you, you are maybe checking these things right like and just you don't maybe do it at work or or whatever and trying to put some sort of checks and balances in on how often you're checking in yeah and being aware of how they affect you yeah. There's just not really a good point in torturing yourself on the weekend, you know, looking at the stuff if all it's doing is making you feel sad that you're missing out on doing some of these races. Yeah. Because you're going to miss, I think is the thing, right? And there's like, going to You someone... literally could not do Wilmington and Kansas and Bay St. Paul because they happened on the same day. Well, and the reality is a lot of us, like with my triathlon story, like, you know, I'll see, oh, like they're going and they're like slugging out some like Ironman Kona and I'll be like, damn. I need to slug out Iron Man. And then I'm like, I don't even like that. Like, again, I, I, I do not want to put myself through that. Right. And it's similar with Leadville and stuff. Every year there's like a tear over my, my thing. And then I'm like, I don't know that I can do that again. Like, I just don't know. So I think we have to like sometimes stop and be like, is that, is this, I don't know. This, is this actually a thing that is I this, want? Is this what I want? Right. Like, it's sweet that this person, like I, I was psyched on, you know, all these people going for dirty cans and all the drama around that and you know seeing clients do all these races and but like just not my thing right and it's it's enticing but it's it's not my it's very easy to get caught up in the hype of seeing the big strava ride or the cool finisher picture on instagram i think it's great and like to think that it's cool but yeah like ask yourself is that really a thing that i want to put on my bucket list and i mean if it is hey like maybe that's great maybe that's your goal for next year yeah, I don't know. And, and I, I'm struggling. I alluded to this in the Rebecca Roosh thing too. Like it's just, sometimes it's, we forget just like we all started just wanting to go out into the forest or out onto the road and just go on a ride, right? And talk to people maybe. And I think sometimes we have to remember that that's, you know, not everything has to be an event, right? Sometimes it can just be, I just went for a, you know, an hour ride today on my mountain bike and I'm pretty interested. We have a podcast coming up with um, actually Lori Nettescu, the nutritionist who's been on before, and her husband. Both of them are bike racers, and we're going to have kind of a talk about uh, training and racing together as couples and setting goals and stuff. And I I think that's going to be a really interesting one around this topic, Um, just because I think all four of us have very different goals and like thoughts around goal setting and racing and stuff at this point so i think that's going to be a really fun conversation that kind of comes back to this so just a little little preview i guess yeah yeah i guess all right i I don't know i don't know if there's any answers there i think trying to focus on what you want to do and Mm -hmm. not so much on who's beating your segments and stuff but it's true it's a tough one it is all right next one actually so Last thing I'll say on this is uh, the nice thing about how much we travel or how much we have traveled is that any QOMs I have are not anywhere around me. So there's just no chance of me defending them when they get taken. I can't think like, well, I got to go out and get that one again. It's like, well, I'd have to go back to California to get that one again. 
Well, and shifting the narrative too, right? Like I think a lot of times we've talked a little bit about like in races when someone passes you and you know, you're maybe you're feeling tired and you're like slowly fading a bit, which is fine. You're allowed to fade, but you're like 1%, you know, faded if you will. But then someone passes you and you instantly bonk, blow, you know, run out of energy. You're like 40% slower, you know, probably more like 10 or 20% slower. And I think with the, the QOM or the KOM, the like segments or whatever, like the initial thing should not be like the sadness that you've been beaten. But, you know, maybe it is motivation. Like on Saturday, I'm going to go out and do this ride again or something. If it's in your workout plan, please don't do yeah. that if you did not have that yeah. on your schedule. Or like, wow, that's like crazy, right? Like, you know, half the time it's that the wind was better. And like we have a couple gravel ones around home and it's like if it gets graded and then the rain's just perfect and the wind's good, like probably someone will go out and get it, right? But all that to say, I think, you know, if you can try and flip that to be a little more positive, but mm-hmm. let, let's leave that one. It's it's FOMO. We're all good. We'll be yeah. fine. All right. Next one. Last one. Um, I really like this question. It's, it's about fueling and mountain biking. So um, this woman is... Um, fairly not new to cycling but fairly new to mountain biking she does some gravel riding she fuels totally fine when she's riding gravel has no problems but she says when she mountain bikes no matter what i eat beforehand i become intensely hungry 30 minutes in which turns to me getting dizzy and then choosing bad lines um she did her first ever mountain bike race a few weeks ago um first half she was just flying through it um but then 30 minutes in just bonked uh eat despite eating a really good breakfast beforehand uh just yeah exhausted had a hard time getting through to the finish uh, so she's wondering you know if that's intensity related or what it could possibly be so initial thoughts um it's a tough one it would be regular to bonk but that may just be terminology like we wouldn't necessarily run out of all our energy 30 minutes in she does say when she finished that race she was so hungry she was shaking uncontrollably and couldn't stop eating until she'd eaten right so there might even just be like outside of that like this is you know i I say flippantly like eating like our normal healthy people and so sometimes it's like we need to eat more and and often that's like you know adding in some protein and fat for a lot of people is is helpful not that like also carbohydrates are helpful but i'm gonna throw out she had kodiak cakes which are protein pancakes oh so maybe we're even carb deficient okay so maybe we're carb deficient then so the okay so i will also add the kodiak cakes have carbs in them like a decent amount they're just also protein enriched i only know this because this happened to be the brand that one of the racers on the team a couple years ago was really into so yeah so she she was having like pancakes you're saying yeah okay but she basically hit all of the macronutrients so i mean for race day sure yeah Yeah. and two hours prior to the race so we're not talking like four hours away or anything interesting i mean i think i don't know that she said she had anything right before the race so that might be part of it is you know this is clearly you clearly she's low on something so eating a little more right ahead of the race i mean it sounds like there's something there i mean it might be like I i would try a bit more maybe and just see and just make sure like throughout the day there's everything's coming in there's some protein fat and and carbohydrate and that's like weekly like that's what we're thinking most meals um just checking in with each meal and it may be that you need to eat more which is always uncomfortable or generally uncomfortable for people uh to try but let's let's assume it's like specific event specific so often in road it's easy to keep it nice and steady uh and then in mountain bike there's especially your mountain bike race right like it's just 
ballistic from the start. It's irrational is what I often say from the start, right? And that's the discipline. We have to embrace that. And the thing is like, and I think I've said this before, if I feel like I have to quit in like the first lap of six, that's usually a good sign for me. That's been honed over years because I am a chronic like under pacer, like, or we'll say perfect pacer, but that's a means your last place in a mountain bike race because it's irrational, right? So you're, you're going to have a moment in that first lap probably where you're a little deep. You're almost a bit cross-eyed. I'll, I'll use that analogy, right? Which almost fits here. Like you're feeling like dizzy almost, right? And we don't want to be unsafe, but there is sort of this like in mountain biking, you're going really hard and then you got to settle in at some point and sort of like, this is my pace. So I think sometimes it's just like training that right versus only road riding maybe during the week where everything's in control the paces you know heart rates sort of controlled sometimes we're, we're forgetting that we need to again find that context and, and prepare for that goal which relates to our earlier question too right and i'm not saying that our, our listener here uh, necessarily is in that boat but I, I would say okay well you know that it was 30 minutes can you go out and do some intervals some mountain bike intervals five by twos you know and then maybe have a little downhill after your two minute hill and use a hill off-road so that you're specific in your cadence and your position and your bike, but then the hill is going to say, like, you're going really hard. And then, you know, a terrain that you can clear safely on the way down, but something that's going to, like, make you think a little bit on the way down while you're breathing heavy and stuff. And just see, like, can you replicate this in training, right? Well, I think, I mean, she's saying every time she mountain bikes, like, 30 minutes in, she's starving. Is that clear that it's in training as well every time i mountain bike no matter what i yeah. become intensely hungry yeah i'd just be interested to know if like there's some training of this going on and then if there is then it's like okay well maybe you try and we don't know but try one workout again five by two three minutes between or something with a little bit of downhilling see can you like bring some mix like put some sugar powder in your bottle and does this head this off do you feel oh i feel better throughout this and I, it was because i was able to drink throughout right so that was when i first read this question that was kind of my initial thought was um on the road it's really easy to you know have your um like your waffle or your you know just more solid food kind of thing and separate your food from your drink but for me I find on the mountain bike, if I don't have a sugar powder type thing in my bottle, I'm probably not going to get enough calories in. So it might be that you need to shift up your fueling strategy between the road and gravel versus mountain bike. You know, you might need to have that water bottle that has stuff in it so you can actually make sure that you're, you know, getting that slow drip of calories instead of waiting till 30 minutes in when you're already kind of in that like hangry bonky stage to start worrying about fueling. Um, And I mean, I, I don't know that she uses a heart rate monitor or anything, but it would be interesting to see road versus mountain bike, what the heart rates look like. Or even just training mountain bike, right? Like I think a lot of us, again, this is context sometimes, but like we have a flatter route and then we end up going up a hill, right? And it's not always evident, uh, but definitely mountain biking is hard. And so I try and encourage people like, especially if you're mountain biking to your focus, that like your interval days again are try and make them specific like okay well half an hour seems to be the issue right now well can we break that up even into say six by five four by five little loops that are hard yeah try and replicate that feeling and maybe it's partially training maybe it's partially just like oh wow when i'm mountain biking and i'm breathing really hard it's hard to stay on trail right and that's mountain bike racing and i think you might even miss this because you've been mountain biking for so long but i'll say for me 
I get, I definitely burn more and feel hungrier on the mountain bike because honestly, like I'm still terrified on the mountain bike, Sure. right? Like I'm still so stressed out. So I think that exacerbates any feelings of hunger. Like when you're a little bit shaky because you're really freaked out about a log or a downhill yeah. or whatever, you're going to feel all of those feelings so much more keenly. Um, yeah. And the other thing she's saying, she mentioned dizziness and you know, we talked about this yesterday when we were kind of discussing this question. Honestly, sometimes on the mountain bike, you're going through a lot more turns and corners a lot more quickly than you would if you were walking them, and you're doing a lot more corners than you would on a road bike or a gravel bike. So, and especially at this time of year where the leaves are all very bright green, yep. um, sometimes it it actually just makes you dizzy. Uh, so you're kind of, you have all of these stimuli coming at you. And if you add a little bit of hunger on top of that, you can very quickly get in a lot more trouble than you would if you were just on a straight road yeah, kind of hanging out. And there's no, there's not really dialing it back in mountain biking, right? On the road, you might not realize, but you kind of can calm down a lot easier. On the mountain bike, you don't really have that option most of the time. Well, and if you're not able to, so yeah, I think those are great points. Um the, the colors like worrying like you know when you take a try and take a picture of someone in the forest it's like sh- never works out never works out like kudos to all my photograph or uh, photographer friends because they do a much and they're amazing with this but the greens and the like speeds off-road make fo- photography like almost impossible like I don't know how people do it so I think our, our vision this is not my wheelhouse at all but our vision gets blurred just by that speed and just things whirling by and then if you're also like at all concerned about the things you know going by you on the side of the trail i that that certainly could be stressful and then if you're tensing up and not maybe breathing a lot this can be hard so i think again specificity in training go hard do intervals use a lap button so that you know what the interval length is and and heart rate adding into this would be great um and then timing those loops and seeing are you changing as far as performance right this is giving us a performance metric um you know i think the training takes care of a lot and you can start you know testing a b like with carbohydrate powder you know with a banana just as before you're starting your intervals you know just test some different things and i bet you you'll find that improves in, in just in specificity of training alone mm-hmm. um i did have one other thing oh sunglasses like sometimes like if your eyes get dry or or really like watering like i know it sounds odd but like you could get blurry vision dizzy feeling from that or at least uh, so it might be like finding some clear lenses like i i race a lot of times with clear lenses and i would actually say that over some of the trail specific ones i actually find the uh trail prism ones from oakley while i really like them uh they actually make the colors look even trippier so i found i found getting used to wearing them actually made me very dizzy a lot of the time yeah yeah I had one other thought on that. Oh, so in the breathing and, and the being, so the, the key, and this, this comes to sort of finding like that standing recovery position where your limbs are pretty straight. You're basically standing up on the bike, which sounds like duh, but a lot of people can never find like a resting recovery position standing, which is a lot of time in mountain biking. We're standing, but most people, when they stand, they're like trying to find like our aggressive ready position with like bent knees, elbows out, but we shouldn't be in that high tension or high energy high like aggressiveness position all the time we should be able to stand up nice and tall and take big deep breaths relax your shoulders so channel your yoga right and this is before every technical descent you'll see i wish i could find the video but like there's if you watch anything you'll see them take like coasting standing and take like a big deep breath almost like a uh, cat camel type pose right standing cat camel 
and, and just trying to find like that relax the muscles. You almost get chills if you do it right. And then you back to your attack position into the rock garden, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So in our interval scenario, this might be riding up a two-minute hill, cat camel, big deep breath. And then I just got chills and then down into the descent, right? Like I, you should be able to channel. And that takes practice, right? It sounds kooky, but that's how you turn from like full gas climbing to relaxed, supple descending, right? And that breath in might be the difference. And I think all of that to say mountain biking is just not the same as road or gravel ultimately like you almost have to kind of approach it as a totally new discipline in a lot of ways 100 percent. like yes they're both pedaling bikes but everything like all of the energy systems used and stuff like it's gonna feel different because you're basically doing a totally different and you see that in the results now with all the grand tour riders coming and trying to do races right They're, they're skilled powerful athletes they've probably even off-road ridden in their life but it's just not the thing they're very elite at Mm -hmm. um you know i have a client who's so much fitter than me he's a great road rider pretty good at gravel but not hasn't spent as much time mountain bike and it's like a switch i am in like so much pain anytime we ride the more road-based stuff and then mountain biking it's it's not so bad right and i get because i have all this efficiency every time there's a bump Mm -hmm. it's like it's so odd even switching to gravel right it's it's it's, it's a different sport so make sure you're training your context your specificity right Mm -hmm. yeah so keep us posted if any of that uh helps and of course if you're listening and you have other questions however specific or general you can always shoot us a message over on consummateathlete.com or hit us up on social media it's at peter glassford and at molly j herford on twitter and instagram And if you liked this episode or the show in general, we would love it if you'd head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. It's super helpful. We have a lot of big guests coming up. We have a lot of really big names that we'd love to get on here. Um, And the more ratings and reviews we get, the better the chances of getting, you know, bigger, bigger guests on the show and continuing to keep it running. We're, we actually celebrated our three year anniversary. I didn't even realize. Aw, you didn't get me anything? No. Darn it. Yeah, we're over three years now, so we've been doing this. I think we've only missed one week in three years of Well, we took our honeymoon at some point in there, too. No, we we pre-uploaded. Oh. <laughs> that wasn't the week we skipped? We were no, just busy. we interviewed Dean Golich the day before our wedding. I mean, it was Dean Golich. I know. I would talk to that man any day. I know. Uh, anyway... Thank you guys so much for tuning in, as always, and we will see you next week.